This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Okay. Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome back to Death by Southwest, the podcast where each week I share a different grisly murder story unique to the American Southwest while my sister and co-host tries to piece together the clues and unravel the mystery behind each of these heinous crimes. I'm your host, Margot, And I'm Jenna. And we are here on Thursday evening recording episode 23. Mm. And on today's episode, we'll learn about Elizabeth Salgado, an ambitious young woman who moved to the United States from Mexico in 2015, seeking new opportunities and a better life. But instead, within a mere matter of weeks, Elizabeth seemed to vanish into thin air, leaving family, friends, and the community of Provo, Utah, with more questions than answers. If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Before we jump into our sense of place for Pro- we haven't had one in Provo have we no have we had one we have in we have, Utah yeah we had one in Salt Lake City I actually you know what I have saved in my Amazon that I want to order for when when we move back into my house we've mm-hmm. been saying listeners we've been I've been saying we as in not me right I have been living at Mark's with my dogs and now Indiana the puppy um, and we are going to transition and move into my house instead of his house because it has a bigger backyard for all of these dogs and so at my house mark built a studio for me and jenna to record in it's a little bit small for both of us awesome but it's you know we like to really lay out in these recordings and have all of our things and stuff around so we talked about that when me and mark moved back to my house we're going to take down the studio and turn that guest room into like a studio room, office slash studio room. And that'll be where we record. And so I want to order, I found a great like old fashioned style map of the United States. And I thought we could like put, like pinpoint all the cities that we've done stories in. I want to do, I like that. I also want to do that for the places I've traveled. Totally. Yeah. So that's, that's what I think we'll do because that way, 
we'll be able to keep better track of where we've done. I mean, we're only on episode 23. If we get up to like episode 75, we're not going to be able to remember how many times we've done a place. Well, and also I don't think it will, unless we've done one like a million billion times. Right. But like, it's okay to redo them. Totally. It's more about the story. But yeah. can you answer me one question? And I know you may want to cut this and tell me later, but she moved from Mexico to Provo. Mm-hmm. Where in Mexico do we know? We do. And I will tell you. Okay, cool. Yep. So, but before we get into our sense of place about Provo, Utah, I wanted to touch on a recent review that we got on Apple and it's not a good one and that's okay. That's not why I want to touch on it. I want to touch on it because I think that maybe we have some new listeners in the past few months and I know that we've given this whole spiel for people who've listened from the beginning about like what the bonus lookup list episodes are, but new listeners maybe haven't heard that. Anyways, we got a review. I'm going to read it. It says the title is shallow and then one star and says, I'm sorry, but if you can't bother to properly research a podcast ahead of time and have to do a lookup list show for every single episode, then you need to find another hobby. I kept giving this podcast a try, hoping it would get better. The banter is awful. The writing is awful. I refer to the aforementioned lack of research. And the lookup list should simply be tossed into the fire before you even get to the mic. So, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> ouch. Um, I mean, fine. That's okay. Like, I, everybody is entitled to their opinions. The banter, totally not for everybody. The writing is... That's fair that it's not for everybody, although these but aren't I mean, what very. What the writing mean? Yeah, as I was gonna say, it's not really scripted. I mean, I research these, and I have a, a shitload of research in front of me with bullet points and articles and things like that. But I don't have a script that I'm writing and reading from. So maybe just maybe she, maybe it's not the writing. Maybe she just doesn't like how I just tell a story off the top of my head. Sure, which is also totally acceptable and valid. But the. But I just want to address for any new listeners who don't know that the lookup list is not, it's not like I'm not researching the episodes and I'm just like spending five minutes on Google and copy pasting an article. And then after we do the episode, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to research. Right. Now I'm going to get into the real research and research this. No, that's not what's happening. That would also be odd. Like why not just point- do it up top? Right. That'd be pointless. So I am definitely researching these episodes and the lookup list most of the time honestly it's not even about the case or the story it's more about things that we talked about in the sense of place or just little tidbits in the story that don't make sense to like really dive into in the episode when I'm talking about the case and the murder so you make a note and we kind of pull on that thread in the lookup list. You said something before about the lookup list that I thought was good. Oh, like no, it, it, like it's the curiosities. Well, or whatever. yeah, it's one. I called a lookup list. Like I used to have a, or I still do actually. Not used to have a lookup list in my phone of just things I see little things on TV or in life or a quote or a this or a that, and right. I put it on my lookup list because I want to find out more. Sometimes it goes into a interesting place and sometimes it falls flat so it was kind of based in my personal lookup list ideal idea one it starts from my curiosities of all the things that I shouldn't ask because otherwise the episodes would be 700 hours long right because I want to know more about where the person worked 
what their brother looked like, what their, uh, you know, nail polish color was. (laughs) I I just want to know the things, which to a lot of people, it's not relevant to the crux of the story. Exactly. It's also relevant to my curious mind. Right. And that's, and that is what the lookup list is for. And And also if we screwed something up. Absolutely. Uh, Certainly it is an opportunity if after the fact I realize, oops, I got this wrong or new information has come out or, you know, I often contact um, detectives, uh, investigators, people who are involved in these cases, but I don't hear back from them in time. So if I hear back from them after the fact, we're going to include that. I mean, it's just, it's kind of supplemental and complimentary. It definitely to, is. Yeah, to the episode. It's not necessary. We could easily not do them, but some people seem to enjoy them. I personally love doing the bonus episodes because they're more casual. We get to just literally talk and shoot the shit and we don't really edit them. So it's an opportunity also for us to just be a little bit more free spoken and not have like a, a specific goal in mind of telling this story. And you know, we've had comments about the research and I think that occasionally maybe I could have researched something for a couple more hours or a couple more days. But in general, these are pretty heavily researched and we're trying to tell a case that sometimes spans years or decades and we're trying to fit it into one hour. So inevitably, I am leaving some things out that are not absolutely necessary. And I think that on a lot of shows, they don't necessarily have a host that is acting as a listener and asking questions, which can sometimes highlight things that I've left out or couldn't find. Which no one, no listener would know to think about or to ask. And if you weren't asking. Yeah. How do they know it's not well researched? Maybe they go and look up additional details? No, I think it's because, I think it's because You'll ask a question and I'll say, I don't know. Or I'll say but something. But they're never like, well, who was the killer? <laughs> it, it's like, okay, it's like, well, where did they work? Okay, maybe you don't know. I feel like we are very honest, maybe too honest sometimes about that we are learning as we go. We're doing what feels comfortable and natural to us. This is never, we've never advertised this as like a, this is an investigative journalistic podcast. Where we're going to be like, breaking cases and spending weeks and weeks discussing a case. No, that's not what this is. And so if that's what you're looking for, then this is not the show for you. Anyways, I don't want to like harp on this too long or sound defensive, I, which probably at this point we do. But I just wanted to make it clear that the lookup list might not be for everyone. And that's totally okay. And more the podcast might not be either. But I just wanted to mostly make it clear that the lookup list is not kind of us saying, hey, we didn't research the case and now we are. So listen to this lookup list. It's if you want to learn more about a couple weird topics that we thought were interesting and explore some curious things that Jenna found. Yeah, listen, if not, no problem. Pass her by. Right, exactly. So that is that. We also have had lovely, we got a wonderful comment from a somebody who's a truck, uh, a trucker. He said that we make him smile. He likes how we cover the cases. Uh, he appreciates that we don't go into too too heavy political or other opinions. So, you know, thank you for your kind comment. And honestly, thank you, the Lark gal, for your not not great review. But, uh, you know, I still think each each review is interesting to hear and we appreciate them. 
You all matter. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, let's jump into our sense of place, Provo, Utah. Do you know anything about Provo, Utah? No. No, me either. I didn't know anything about it. Provo, Provo. No. No. Okay. Well, you will after this. So Provo is located in Utah County, Utah. It's about 43 miles south of Salt Lake City and is the third largest city in Utah. The second largest city is West Valley City and Salt Lake City is the first. Uh, the estimated population of Provo is 117,000 people. Semi-arid climate, hot summers, cold winters, about 18 inches of precipitation per year with the majority of majority of that falling as snow during the winter months, elevation of 4,551 feet, and the city stretches over a 41 square mile area, it has a charming downtown area and breathtaking landscapes. It actually has 27 parks. Hmm. Spread throughout the area with more than 800 acres of developed parkland and 35 miles of paved pathways. I mean, that seems like a lot given the yeah. city of Provo is 41 square miles and there's 27 parks. Yeah, it's a lot, huh? Maybe teeny tiny parks, but it seems like an outdoorish city. Yep, yep. Um, there's a bunch of Tourist attractions, Brigham Young University ah, is located, BYU. In, yeah, located in Provo. There's a lake in Utah called Utah Lake. Bridal Veil Falls is a scenic waterfall located just outside of Provo. You know, I asked ChatGPT to give me the vibe of Provo, Utah. <laughs> <laughs> and it says, Provo, Utah has a friendly and welcoming vibe. It's a college town home to Brigham Young University, which brings a youthful and vibrant energy has a strong sense of community and a family-friendly atmosphere with plenty of parks, playgrounds, and other recreational activities. It's known for thriving arts and culture scene, strong emphasis on outdoor recreation, lots of hiking, biking, skiing, snowboarding, and water sports. Outdoorsy. Outdoorsy. And very uh, college-y. college yeah. But, it, but different kind of college-y. Yes. Different. Well, that's on my lookup, so I won't ask all my questions well tell me what you know i know that brigham young university is there a private university affiliated with the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints it's the largest religious university and the third largest private university in the united states so there are two universities brigham young and utah valley university um so most people assume that that means there's a ton of bars and clubs, mm -mm. but most, and I don't know how this article that I found knows this, but it says, you know, most students at both of these universities don't drink, which makes Provo a not so ordinary college town. I know that's because they, because it's very Mormon. <laughs> and this article said, in fact, Brigham Young students don't spend their weekends drinking at the bars. They spend their weekends singing in a tunnel every Sunday on campus. I guess there's a tunnel that they go and like sing at. But alcohol is legally allowed throughout the entire state of Utah. It's, there's nowhere dry in the state, but it's funny because the state liquor laws say, quote, the state does not promote or encourage the sale or use of alcohol. There's a lot of weird activities apparently in Provo. I don't know if I find these that weird, but interesting. Uh, there's a, f a f fish spa where you go and the fish eat the dead skin off your feet which yeah i mean but that's not that weird I, I, it's not that weird i've never done it Ugh, me either would you ever do it 
probably not in Provo. <laughs> like, not because of anything against the Provo fish, but just <laughs> if I'm in, I, I hear it's like a, you know, an Eastern thing. So yeah, like if Indonesia, I'm in Thailand, Thailand. Yeah. 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 Of course I'll do shit that's out of my kind of comfort zone. Sure. Yeah. Put my feet in there. I think it would tickle. Well, yeah. I mean, don't pedicures anyways. Yeah. I hate pedicures. I think I've only had two in my whole life. I just don't enjoy somebody else. I just don't like that. You can visit an indoor beach, which is interesting because it's a landlocked state. There's also lots of places to play miniature croquet, which apparently was created in Utah. Hmm. And there are wild animal shows at a water park known for its epic water slides. Mm-mm. I did not look into that because I don't want to know about wild animal shows. Not, don't like that. There's apparently a very good food scene in Provo. They, I have a few examples of interesting foods there. Hot dogs that have crisscrosses cut through them so a delicious sweet sauce can soak into the crevices. I don't know how I feel about sweet sauce with my hot dog, but fine. No, thank um, you. Pizza with honey and serrano toppings. No, thank you. Um, or, or you can dine at restaurants with very odd, peculiar atmospheres like Sweeto Burrito, which I love that name. Which has a luchador theme. Well, I don't know what that is. Like luchador theme is like the the Mexican wrestling. Oh, masks. Uh, the wash is trying to be a speakeasy and has specialty sodas that look like alcohol, or sensuous sandwich, where everything on the menu has a sensuous name: the enticer, the tantalizer, and the walls and tables are covered in hilariously. Entertaining cartoons and quotes with of a sexual nature, like boobies. Maybe <laughs> sounds very if, tantalizing. I don't it's know fine. if I need a sensuality with my sandwiches, but fine. I'm not opposed. Another cool activity to do in Provo if you're there is to hop on a bicycle at night and take a haunted a tour of the haunted places in Provo. The Pedal Provo Ghost Tours. Start in a cemetery and go throughout Provo's historic district. And it's the only bicycle ghost tour in the U.S., apparently. That's cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, Sundance Film Festival is located not far from Provo. Um, so that's, I mean, that's that's kind of the bulk of my, of my Provo overview. And we are going to move right into our episode about Elizabeth Elena Laguna Salgado. And Elizabeth was a 26-year-old who preferred going by her middle name of Elena. But when I wrote the episode, when I was researching this and wrote it, I didn't find that until close to the end. So throughout all of my notes, I have Elizabeth. So I'm going to call her Elizabeth, but I thought it was Important to mention that she preferred going by Elena. Her legal name, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Elena Laguna Salgado. Salgado. Mm-hmm. Before I wrote Delgado. Mm, I like that last name. But not Salgado. I like Salgado as well. <laughs> <laughs> so Elizabeth was born and raised in Chapas, Mexico. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, but we're going to go with it. Chapas, Mexico is one of the states that make up the 32 federal entities in Mexico. It has 124 municipalities. 
Um, and it's the southernmost state in Mexico. It borders the states of Oaxaca to the west, Veracruz to the northwest, and Tabasco to the north. So she was born and raised in Chiapas, Mexico, as I said. She was one of six siblings. From what I can tell, she was described as an optimistic woman who had great faith in her religion. She was always willing to help her community. And she moved to the United States in 2015. She came with a visa because she was hoping to get an education, a better education and learn English and then return back to her parents in Mexico and get a better job. She did receive a degree in Mexico and she had aspirations of becoming an engineer. So she moved from Chiapas, Mexico to Provo, Utah on March 23rd, 2015 to attend school at the Nomen Global Language Center to learn English and, quote, become a better person and get married in a temple with a good guy per Mormon traditions. And the Nomen Language School, I didn't, I was interested to see what that was all about. And it is a school in Provo that helps students acquire English fluently. So on their website, it says, we teach non-linear English. Your success in one concept is not determined by success in a previous one. Take any course in any order. Don't fear of falling behind. Our two-week blocks allow you to apply anytime. So it was kind of um, a non-traditional school and and mostly English learning language. Well, also to me, non-linear means it's not like you have to take this, this, this course to build upon this course. That's totally what it means. You're right. So Elizabeth actually received a scholarship to attain to attend the Nomen Language School, which was just, um, you know, kind of more indication of her commitment to improving herself and improving her life. Once she got to Provo on March 23rd, she had secured an apartment um, with roommates who she didn't know. I think that the she lived at a place called the Branbury Apartments, which was uh. a, a place that was known for kind of transplants and people who maybe didn't know other people in town. They were new to town. They needed people to live with. Um, and, and I think it was a very um, culturally diverse uh, place to live. Uh, she also found a job working as a waitress at a local restaurant. And from what I could find, she led a pretty quiet and regimented life when she arrived. Her routine consisted of attending school, going to church, and exercising alone. Some of her classmates said that they regularly invited her to dances and other social events, but she always declined because she would just wanted to focus on her schoolwork, learning English, and improving herself. Before she moved to Utah, she had been, she got a degree in Mexico and she had also been serving a mission for the Mormon church in Mexico. So once she arrived in Provo, she started attending the Provo YSA 140th Ward, despite being assigned to a different ward based on her apartment's location. So I found that and I was like, what the hell is a ward? What's a YSA? YSA means Young Single Adult, which is a designation in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for unmarried people between the ages of 18 and 30. And then a ward is, uh, so most congregations of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are organized geographically into wards. 
members of a ward worship together on Sundays and hold activities during the week. A ward is a community where Latter-day Saints can develop friendships and support their fellow church members in their efforts to worship and follow Jesus Christ. So it's basically like if you live in this area of Provo, you're right, part of this ward. Right, it's based geographically. Yeah, yeah. So, But she started attending a, a ward, which it just sounds weird to say that to me. So a church or a section of the church that was not based on her geographic location. She was supposed to be in a, di- in a different ward. But for whatever reason, she joined the YSA 140th Ward. And Mackie Smith was someone who also attended the 140th Ward. He was unofficially assigned to be her ministering brother, um, which is somebody who just kind of helps her adjust and meet people and get used to the, the church. And he said, you could tell she really was just excited about everything. She believed in helping and serving other people above all else. That's that's really the bulk of the information that I found on her. A, a very focused, dedicated, driven young woman who had regimented, a, regimented, had a strong belief or a strong faith, and was excited to be in the United States and and learn English and kind of hopefully advance her herself before she went back to Mexico so that she could create a better life for her family. But sadly for Elizabeth. She was only in the United States for 18 days before her story took a very mysterious turn on April 16th, 2015. So on a seemingly ordinary April day, Elizabeth was walking home from her English class at the Noman Global Language Center, which was just about a mile away from her apartment. It was a route that she took many times before and generally felt very comfortable walking, especially in the middle of the day, like on this April 16th when she was walking home. But recently, and on this day in particular, Elizabeth had been fighting off feelings of unease on her walks from school, to and from school. Just days before, she called her family in Mexico and told them that she felt like she was being watched when she was walking to and from school. But She couldn't really identify who was watching her or why she felt this way. It was just kind of a gut feeling. And as we know, your gut is usually right. And in this case, Elizabeth's gut feeling was spot on. Because this walk home from school on April 16th would be the last walk home that she ever took. Don't miss what happens next in today's episode. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. 
This is frightening. I know we've had similar scenarios where someone's saying, oh, I'm not sure what, but like something feels off. That's all. Something was off. She knew it. So over the next 24 hours after April 16th, Elizabeth failed to read or respond to numerous text messages from her family, which caused them to become extremely worried. And they quickly reported her missing. Because she must have typically, quick, very, semi, very regularly yeah, talked to her family. She was interacting on social media, yes. text message, whatever. Yes. Yeah. They, she'd only been in the country for 18 days. Right. So she was keeping probably in close contact very. if she had people to do that with. Yeah. And she had six like siblings. She, yeah. she was close oh, with her wow. parents. Yep. She had two uncles who were here in the United States. And she talked to all of them very regularly. So after 24 hours of hearing nothing from her... They were worried, reported her missing, and the search began. Investigators scoured the area for any sign of Elizabeth, but found nothing. The last known sighting was outside of the language center, the Noman Language Center, just north of Provo's Center Street, um, where, where apparently the last places that she was seen near was Hruska's Kolaches, which I don't know what that is, but I'm assuming it's some type of dessert store is what it sounds like to me, at least. I don't know why. Um, and Pioneer Books. She was seen wearing... Sounds like a bookstore. <laughs> 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 yes, it does. Very insightful. She was seen wearing a denim jacket, blue jeans, and knee-high black or brown boots. Sadly, days passed. One, two, three days passed, and... Even though investigators were scouring the area and talking to people, it seemed that no one had seen or heard anything that could help lead to where Elizabeth might be. The fear and concern surrounding her disappearance was palatable. I mean, this is a small town, a small community, and especially it's a small town period. But then when you really get into the church community, it's an even smaller community of people. And so not only were her family and friends left wondering what the hell happened to her and is she okay but the whole entire community was kind of on edge at this point because it seemed that Elizabeth after only 18 days in the United States had disappeared without a trace so on April 16th that's the last time that Elizabeth was seen on April 24th about eight days later at this point Elizabeth's parents and most of her family is still living in Mexico and they once they realized like they hadn't heard from her. They reported her missing. Police started investigating. They scrambled to get visas or whatever they needed to get to the U.S. And they all came as quickly as possible so that they could attend, well, to help look for her first and foremost, but also to attend a press conference that was being held on April 24th to help with the search. So uh, her family on April 24th held a joint press conference with Elizabeth Smart's family. For people who aren't familiar with who Elizabeth Smart is, Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped from her Salt Lake City bedroom by street preacher Brian David Mitchell in 2002 when she was 14. She was held captive for nine months before she was found. Um, Her captor, uh, Mitchell, was convicted of kidnapping and raping her, and he was sentenced to life in prison. I'm sure some people haven't heard of it, but most people probably have because this this case gained huge national attention. Well, younger people maybe haven't because when was that? 2002. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. So a lot of people maybe weren't born. That's... Or were tiny babies or toddlers. Yeah, that's true. That makes me feel old, but true. Well, you are. I Thank you. Well, I mean, so am I. I'm just saying, like, we are. Yes. 2002. Long time ago. So the case gained, that the Elizabeth Smart case gained national attention and sparked widespread public interest. Um, and Elizabeth has since become an advocate for finding missing persons and survivors of abuse. So her family, because this happened in Utah, and Elizabeth Salgado went missing in Utah, Elizabeth Smart's family joined this press conference and search to try and bring more attention to the case. Ed Smart, Elizabeth Smart's father, was very vocal at this press conference about believing that raising public awareness by, you know, broadcasting pictures of Elizabeth Salgado in the media, social media, everything could make all the difference. In this press conference, the Provo Police Chief John King also said that they are treating Elizabeth's disappearance as suspicious, but not as an abduction, because there was no evidence to suggest that she was taken against her will. What do you think about that? I think that it is, she went she talked to her family every day. She'd been in the United States for under three weeks and suddenly she disappears without a trace in the middle of the day while walking down a very busy street and there that's weird. There's something weird about that. I think it is an abduction. Yeah, I agree that it's strange. Like, let's just say you went missing three weeks ago. Are you just suspicion? Like there's a suspicious No, missing. I'm missing. I've been abducted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There is a different treatment of someone who's new to this country as opposed to someone who is a native of this country. Non-citizens. Sure. Yeah. Sure. They are thinking at this point, she could have willingly gone with someone and just like disappeared into the world, which to me seems ridiculous. Her family also was not convinced because it was extremely out of character for her to miss school or work with no explanation as, and she hadn't been there for eight days at this point. And she also had had zero contact with her family at all. And according to her uncle, she called them every day. She talked to her family every single day. Uh, Police Chief King confirmed that there had been no activity on Elizabeth's cell phone or bank cards since she was last seen walking north on 500 West, walking home from from class. They did pull her last two text messages, which one was at 1.30 to her uncle, and and the following was at 2.30 to her sister. But what was weird is that to her family, there was something very off about these text messages. They were very different. And it, it caused a lot of raised eyebrows with her family. So it wasn't her. Well, according to Elizabeth's family, she always sent text messages that felt very personal. They were filled with emojis and affectionate. You could really, t- you know, you knew. You knew that it was her texting you. It had a, it had a, a personal touch to it. And so the day that she disappeared, she sent at 1.30 a text to her uncle asking for a ride to Walmart. He was in Provo at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it was, and it sounded just like her. Affectionate emojis, personal touches. And then about one hour later, a text was sent to her sister in Mexico. And it was very different and very kind of cold and didn't feel like Elizabeth at all. Do you know what it said? I think her sister texted her, what are you doing? And she said, I'm walking home from class or something like that. It was like just like very period. basic. Yeah, yeah, period. No exclamation points, yeah. no emojis. And so the family believes 
that this last text message to Elizabeth's sister was written by her abductor, abductor. attacker, whoever, to throw by the not sister her. off. Yes, yeah. by not her. Elizabeth's uncle said he saw the text message and said that was not her style. She was very affectionate when she was talking to her sisters and any of her family members. So writing that short message, it's an indication that it's not even her. And that's why my niece, Sarah, Elizabeth's sister, when she got this message, she was like, this isn't my sister. And you kind of know that. Like, I know how you text. Do you know how I text? Sure. If I was missing for four, how long? At this point, eight days. Well, I was going to say 14. But let's say eight is enough. If I was missing for eight days, of course, your mind would go to, oh, that doesn't sound like her tone. After one hour, you might be like, oh, she's in a mood. After eight days? Well, this text message was sent the day she went missing. It's the last text message she sent. Okay, even more so then. But after eight days, they're looking at it like, well, this doesn't sound like her, which makes sense. It all makes sense. Yeah. The next day, April 25th, was the first search party for Elizabeth. It drew hundreds of people to Provo. They canvassed the area, passed out flyers, put up posters, and asked everyone to keep an eye out for her. Um, There was a second and third search party on May 1st and May 13th. And also in May, they offered a $5,000 reward for information. Eventually, over the coming months, that increased to $50,000. So weeks at this point are going by. She had seemingly vanished without a trace, and police were struggling to piece together what had happened to her. There There was really not that much evidence or information because that route that she walks home is very, very busy, especially in the middle of the day. So police said the fact that we didn't receive any calls about a suspicious incident or somebody being pulled into a car or anything out of the ordinary, police found this just baffling. Well, there was, from what you've shared, there was no like evidence or like anything that tipped off people to say, ooh, Something's weird. Besides, she's been gone for a while. Right. Which which right. which kind of indicates maybe she did get in the car with someone. Like willingly. Like nobody was dragging her into the car. Great. Right. Also, that doesn't mean shit to me. Sure. If I willingly get into a car with an Uber driver, I will do that whenever I need an Uber. And also that doesn't mean I'm Something willingly later. wanting to get hurt. Right. So their first plan of action was to try and create a timeline for the days and weeks leading up to her disappearance to see if there were any inconsistencies. Are there any people that she saw regularly that might know things? They interviewed her classmates, people who lived and worked along the route that she walked to get to and from school. But with every potential lead, they just hit dead end after dead end. One by one, people were investigated, questioned, and then cleared. Everyone from friends to construction workers on a site, working on a construction site from that walk home, relatives, work acquaintances, every person had an alibi. Uh, Police interviewed all known sex offenders in the area, current roommates, students, teachers at the Noman Global School, but everything came up empty handed. Nothing. No leads. Nothing. Her parents told police about an obsessive boyfriend in Mexico who didn't like that she came to the United States. And police went down that road, but 
it led he wasn't here he it wasn't him it led nowhere so early on in this investigation authorities also had suspicions about elizabeth's two uncles who were here living in the u.s people felt that the the interviews that they gave on tv were just off a little bit just felt a little showy a little weird something didn't feel right and then based on the outcome of a polygraph test um, and inconsistencies in their stories, police were then pretty suspicious of them. And so they started excluding them. The uncles were not allowed to be included in the updates that police would give to the family. But within, you know, several days of this suspicion really kind of coming to a head, they were cleared of any wrongdoing because one uncle was in California when Elizabeth disappeared and the other one was also not in the area based on his cell phone records. Finally, in June of 2015, the police thought they were onto something when an unidentified man called the family and claimed to have Elizabeth in his possession and he demanded a ransom. This was the first glimmer of hope that the family had that Elizabeth might still be alive and okay I don't believe it. It turned out to be, the caller turned out to be a liar. It was all fake. And once again, authorities oh, had hit a wall. That's, yeah. that's awful. So the family hired a private investigator. Jensen was his last name. And he had a theory. He believed that Elizabeth had become friends or acquaintances recently. I mean, of course, recently. She was only here for 18 days. Um, but had become recent friends or acquaintances with the person who ultimately killed her and that it wasn't a random attack. He thinks that it's even possible that the person may have been trying to take her on a date and something went wrong. Apparently she got, she was beautiful. So she got asked out quite often, apparently, from from people in the church and always turned them down. And, and Libertad Salgado, Elizabeth's mother, had a theory of her own. After expressing that her daughter felt that she would be super safe in Provo, that's why she wanted to move there because she'd be surrounded by members of her same faith, Elizabeth's mother said she believes it's likely that whoever killed her was in fact a member of the church because that's who she mostly spent time with. Well, I, I'm not willing to comment because I really? don't know Nothing, what... no, no, no ideas. Well, no, because it'll all be theories. So yeah, there's. I mean, that's that's kind of where where police were too. There's just there's nothing leading to anything. Yeah, that's why I don't have that many comments. Yeah, <laughs> and so for the next three years, there was nothing. Every year, her family held a press conference on the anniversary of her disappearance, and search parties continued throughout the years. Her family stayed on top of this tirelessly but after three years her disappearance still had investigators completely stumped her family held vigils passed out flyers and and continued to beg the media well beg the public through the media for answers and then on may 18th 2018 a shocking discovery was made that changed everything you don't want to miss what happens next in today's murder story, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. A man was driving along a secluded road in Hobble Creek Canyon when he pulled over to relieve himself and take a pee on the side of the road. Where was Hobble Creek Canyon? Um, about 20 miles from Provo. Okay. He, as he stepped out of his car, he spotted something unusual. It, was, it appeared to be a skull partially hidden by some clothing and branches. He was unsure what it was, so he called the authorities, and he told them, I think I see a skull and some clothing under a bush. When the police arrived, they found what appeared to be human remains hidden in a shallow grave. So the body had been laid to rest in a sleep-like position. It was clear to police that whoever had killed this person had gone to great lengths to hide the body, burying it off the road in an area that was almost impossible to find. You couldn't hike to this area. It just so happened that this man pulled off the road in this exact spot and walked a little bit into the woods to pee. But otherwise, it would it would not be found for a while. And authorities believed upon finding this that, that this body had been out here for years, had been exposed to the elements for years. So after... Investigators confirmed that the remains were human. The remains were taken to the medical examiner's office in Taylorsville, Utah, and they used dental records to identify the body, which did belong to Elizabeth Salgado. I have a question. Mm. Dental records. You have to have them. Like you have to have been to a dentist. That's not, yes, cra- correct. that's not a crazy question. No, no, absolutely. I believe- A lot of people have not or haven't in two decades. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I thought you were saying because she was only here in the United States. I no. think they got her dental records from Mexico. But yes, you're absolutely right. You have to have been to some sort of dentist to get some sort of impressions mm-hmm. at a dental facility, a dentist. If I had never been to a dentist, my dental records might not have been... Because my dental records as a baby or a toddler or whenever, you know, I went as a kid are totally different than they are now. Yeah, we need to definitely look into more about dental records and like how do people, how does that exactly work basically? So they did use dental records and they did identify the body as belonging to Elizabeth Elena Laguna Salgado. But the cause and manner of death remained unknown. There was no indication of blunt force trauma. And from the the remains that had, you know, seemingly been out in the elements for three years, they couldn't identify how she had been killed. So this 
This news of Elizabeth's death sent shockwaves through the community, and her family and friends were, of course, relieved to have an answer. They were also obviously devastated. Officials characterized this discovery of, of Elizabeth's body. They called it a lucky break because for three years they were investigating and performed hundreds of interviews and said deputies had driven past the location where she was found dozens of dozens of times in recent years, but never knew to look in that exact spot, you know? How could they, right? right. Like they were just looking, exactly. looking, looking, looking. Yeah. So... One of the sheriffs said, we'll take any break anytime, anywhere. Some days it's better to be lucky than good. The autopsy revealed that two of her front teeth were missing, which became a crucial piece of evidence because it indicated that she likely tried to bite, fight or bite or fight. Yeah, both. Yeah. Bite or fight off her abductor. Her, Her family kind of clung to this hope that she didn't go down without a fight. Her uncle had said if her tooth was missing, that means she was trying to fight for her life and defend herself. And she was a fighter. Which I don't know if I'd find solace in that. I mean, I don't know. They're still gone yeah. from the physical earth. Just I don't know what to say. Well, most people didn't know what to say because despite discovering these remains, there were still so many unanswered questions What had happened to her in the days and weeks leading up to her death? Was it someone she knew? Was it a stranger who was responsible for this murder? Her family, her friends, and the community was still holding their breath, waiting to find out what had happened. So based on all the information that had been gathered at this point, the private investigator developed a profile of who the killer may be. Very general, but he said that his profile said that the killer spoke Spanish and was either Caucasian or Hispanic, which we can assume they spoke Spanish because she barely spoke English. And if no one saw her getting dragged into a car, which it doesn't mean that didn't happen, but then there's a good chance that whoever took her, they spoke and she willingly got in the car, which I know doesn't mean that she willingly got killed, but she willingly... Went oh, because I was going to say, also, you don't have to speak anything to grab someone if you have enough force. Sure, but in. at this point, they're assuming that she wasn't grabbed. Right, because, right, right. You know, just such a busy road, nobody nobody saw anything. This profile also, he believed that this, the killer, she knew the killer and that the killer possibly was infatuated with her um, and thought that the killer may be from her small circle of social friends found at her church or at the language school. So... The private investigators, you know, multiple times pleaded with the public, if anyone knows anything, please come forward. Um, Law enforcement agreed with this investigator that she may have known her killer because no one saw any type of confrontation between a woman and another person at that time of day in that area in Provo. Who was it? So we're going to flash forward here. 2018, her body was discovered. And in 2020, they finally named a person of interest. And this person of interest is someone that we've talked about in a previous case. Person of interest, I want to know for sure. And also person of interest doesn't mean guilty party. Absolutely not. Okay, who's the person of interest? So this is what why this case caught my eye. Because the the first 
person of interest that they ever named was Adam DeBurrow. We talked about him because he killed and was convicted of killing Sherry Black. Bookstore girl. Yes. Love her. Bookstore. What a cool, like, middle life plan. Like, she had the best situation until she was killed. That seems dope. Yeah. Little bookstore. Yeah, Yeah. really cool. Yeah. So he became a person of interest because apparently he only lived a few miles at this time from Elizabeth's apartment. Because she was Salt. Sherry was Salt Lake City. Yeah. 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 Yes. And Adam lived. In Salt Lake City, obviously, at the time when Sherry was was killed, which I don't have that date in front of me, but and Provo was, I believe, forty ish miles from Salt Lake, but I think around pretty close, right? Around the time that Elizabeth disappeared, Adam was living one of his residences. You know, he had several residences listed: his mom's place, his childhood home, and whatnot. But one of them was only a few miles from her apartment. And so when they began looking into her, um, Elizabeth's sister, Sarah, said if he committed one crime and he was in the area, we think there could be a chance that he committed this crime as well. Um, one of the police, deputy police chiefs said the thing that is most of interest to us is his previous crimes and the proximity that he was living to Elizabeth when this occurred. Seems real light to me. Yeah, it does to me too. Like that's interesting. And also there's a lot of people in that state and or area that have committed crimes or done terrible things. Why focus on him? And and that's all that ever came out what? about him. That's it? That's all that they oh, that's all they ever him. about him. That's all that ever came out about him and his connection. And it was eventually let go. But that is so I contacted this private investigator and I only just heard back from him right before we started recording. So I haven't had a chance to get to talk to him and get information from him, but I have emailed with him and he did say that he has some, some interesting things that were not publicized because I wasn't able to do it in time for our recording. We will include it in, maybe we'll do a special edition of the lookup where we just talk about what, what he shares with us. We'll see. But that's all that ever came of the Adam DeBurrow thing, which I thought was really interesting, though. I mean, how often do you come across two cases where one person is convicted in one and he's then a suspect in another? Just random. I mean, I well, I think it's kind of a wide stretch. I know I do we don't have all the ins and outs. I think it's a wide stretch for me right now. Yeah, it is. I agree. And it was for police as well because they ultimately dropped it. He was He was released as a person of interest. So... At this point, we're in April of 2020, and the private investigator said that they recently, in 2020, came across a source that said that Elizabeth visited Hobble Creek Canyon the weekend before her disappearance. So Hobble Creek Canyon is where she was found three years after she disappeared, and five years after she disappeared, they 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 come upon this new information that she actually was there where her body was found. She was there a week before she disappeared. There was a church activity at the mouth of Hobble Creek Canyon. Uh, It was a place called Kelly's Grove Pavilion. And apparently the weekend before Elizabeth disappeared, her church group had a picnic there. 
at Kelly uh, Kelly's Grove Pavilion right there at Hobble Creek Canyon. The private investigator said that he thought maybe at that church activity, she made plans with someone, talked to them and said like, uh-huh. hey, let's make another trip out here after school one day or let's let's come back and go hiking, something like that. He doesn't know who that is or who that was at the time, but that maybe was the person because that's convenient. They've already been there once, familiar with the area. Oh, let's come back here next week sometime. And then that's where her body ends up being found three years later. But, you know, the whole beginning of this investigation, obviously they didn't know her body was there and they didn't even know about this church excursion, which seems strange to me. And the private investigator says, a quote from him says, it cannot be a coincidence that you're at the base of this canyon And then four days later, you've disappeared and are dead and your body is found in this canyon. Did no one think it was like an accidental fall or a suicide? That was never mentioned. Okay. Well, I don't actually think it's a suicide. No. In March of 2021, authorities caught another small break in the case. Uh, The private investigator and the Cold Case Coalition in Utah was examining and kind of re-going over where her body was found. And they found a penny with a metal detector that was literally right on top of where her body was found, but under a bit of dirt. And the coin was sent off to the lab for testing where they were able to extract a small bit of male DNA and it didn't match to anybody. All they knew is that it was a male DNA and nothing else. Which sometimes people are new criminals. There you go. That's right. So another fucking dead end. And then on August 19th, 2021, Elizabeth's aunt, Miriam Judith Salgado, seemingly vanished into thin air from Washington County, Utah. She was 45 years old and was said to have some mental health issues. So she had had contact with law enforcement in the past because they had found her sleeping in her car in random places. She had struggled with, I don't know specifically what, but various mental health issues. And in the weeks prior to her, her disappearance, they had found her sleeping in her car kind of in a wooded area off the beaten track and she didn't regularly talk to her family like Elizabeth did but occasionally she did and after not being seen or heard from in about three months her family reported reported her to police as missing or there's something weird happening we don't understand why we haven't heard from her and then Washington County deputies Washington County still in Utah though Uh, found her car on a dirt road abandoned in an unincorporated area outside of Virgin, Utah, near Zion National Park. When they ran the license plate, they also found that her car was linked to a missing persons case filed in another part of Utah. Elizabeth's uncle said, quote, my sister doesn't like to keep in touch very much with us, but we started getting worried because when they found her car and we hadn't heard from her, it was like something is up, something's going on. As the investigation went on into Miriam's disappearance, and it was still going on for Elizabeth, authorities said, we don't have an obvious connection. So we don't think these two disappearances in Utah from the same family are connected, but we're not going to rule it out. 
uh, Sergeant Spencer Cannon with the Utah County Sheriff's Office said, you have, you at least have to let the question into your mind. Could, could there be someone who has it out for this Salgado family? You could, you need to at least. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. Like, are you kidding? Uh, He also said, we don't know that and we don't have any evidence suggesting that there's anyone out to get this family, but it is unusual that another family member is missing. I understand this individual from the police department has to, you know, there's no evidence. So they have to stick to the facts and very factually, there's nothing connecting them. And they, he, they can't go where I'm going in my mind of like, what the fuck? Yep. So on March 6th, 2023, just two months ago, human remains were found in Southern Utah and were identified as the aunt of Elizabeth Salgado, Miriam Salgado, located by a hiker. Apparently the remains were very severely decomposed and they based their uh, conclusion that this was Miriam on personal belongings that were found at the scene. Surprisingly, they don't suspect foul play. They think that it was a tragic accident or she took her own life. There's no signs of how the person died. No. Once again, no signs of how she died, just like with Elizabeth. Maybe they both took their life. Seems unlikely. I I don't know enough about Miriam to say, but with Elizabeth, like she had just arrived here. She was so ambitious and excited and positive and had a deep faith. Like there's nothing to suggest that she, and and again, I understand that sometimes that happens, but. Well, I totally agree with that. It seems odd. I'm also saying like, I don't actually believe this, but the devil's advocate would say, she was so excited and so enthusiastic and so in this. And then she arrived in America. Yeah. And hated it. Yeah. That's true. And as of today, there is still no conclusion. There is no answers. They have no suspects. There are no persons of interest. There is nothing at all about who could have taken and killed Elizabeth I mean, and her aunt, I guess, but they're not really looking into that anymore. This is Elizabeth's case is still active and ongoing. Her family says that they desperately want to find the killer. They want justice and they're not going to stop until they find who did this. So it is still an ongoing open case and anyone with any information can contact the uh, Utah County Sheriff's Office. The last thing that I wanted to share, and and this might get too political, but I did find an article that talked about, you know, in all of my research through this, there was very little that talked about how she was new to the United States. She was um, here on a visa. She wasn't, you know, a a native of this country. Um, Nothing, nothing talked about that except for one article that I found And this is what it said. It said, Elizabeth's death sent shockwaves throughout her community and the nation, inspiring thousands of people to speak out against hate crimes and the need for greater protection for marginalized communities. Her death was a reminder of the harsh realities faced by people living in minority communities, and her story served as a rallying cry for change. Today, her memory and legacy continues to live on in the form of charities and organizations dedicated to protecting the rights of all people. And I think that that's interesting that that was really never in everything that I read. 
it was never it was never highlighted that she was an immigrant that she was new to this country that she didn't speak english that she wasn't american um it was never discussed and never highlighted and it may or may not have anything to do with her disappearance and death but i i certainly think I would have expected it to be something that was more considered, I guess. Do you want me to respond? Because in my mind, it was always considered. Like, she didn't grow up here. She, this is English as a second language. Like, I'm not saying what you're saying is wrong. But in my mind, it's like, this is a thing. Well, right, but that that's what I mean, is that in nothing that I read, was it a thing, which is shocking to me. I agree. Well, if anyone has any information about this case, we will include all those links and phone numbers in our show notes, and that's it. Okay, good night and good luck. <laughs> that That sounded more like a question. Good night and good luck, and I wish you all well, and good night and good luck. And we will see you guys later this week for our lookup list. Thank you for listening and bye-bye. Bye. Death by Southwest is hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Executive produced by Margot Carmichael. Produced by Jenna Schneider. Audio editing and sound design by Margot Carmichael. Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign-off phrase, good night and good luck. <laughs>